Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hey, Susanna. Hi. How's it going? It's great. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. No, no worries. No worries. What's, it's uh, it's 9am over where you are, right? Yeah, exactly. In the morning and it's still dark outside and it's snowing. So, but that's great. <laughs> wow. Wow. So I thought I'd give everyone a bit of an introduction to um, who you are. So um, just for those listening in, uh, Susanna has really pioneered some really amazing research. She's the first author on a recent paper of the Cell Press Journal exploring the metabolic and other positive effects of repeated cold exposure and the combination of cold and heat for insulin management, increasing metabolism, and some other health benefits. So, Susanna, let my audience know, how did you become so fascinated into uh, cold exposure? Well, first of all, I, I started my research in something completely different. So it was kind of a coincidence that I just fell over this uh, topic because um, uh, another researcher was doing this research in brown fat. And uh, the brown fat is a healthy fat that we have, which um, is uh, burning our calories in our body when we get cold. And uh, that works so very different from the white fat, which is storing wow. our uh, our energy. So uh, the brown fat can burn the white fat. And I found that very fascinating. So, uh, and when the mm. research uh, says that uh, you need to get cold, to activate your brown fat, we were thinking maybe we should do a study where we cool people in some way. 
And mm. uh, there are already studies out there showing that if you cool people by wearing a cooling vest, then you can uh, activate your brown fat. But I didn't find that very feasible to say to people you should run around with a cooling vest. So I was thinking, well, we live in Denmark here <laughs> and, uh, and people are winter swimming here. So yeah, that's why winter swimming suddenly became a part of my study. So it's kind of a, like a, a, a mythological uh, approach to it. Uh, but in the same time, I became a winter swimmer myself. Mm, yeah, it's really fascinating. Did you want to maybe um, explain to my listeners, we'll keep it really simple. Did you want to explain to people what actually happens to the body, you know, once we undergo sort of cold therapy or um, we're experiencing cold? Yeah, so it's um, so when you go into the cold water, you will have, if you are a new winter swimmer or you haven't really... Uh, adapted to the cold, you will have a, a cold shock right immediately as soon as you take your clothes off and you walk in and you touch the water. You will start to hyperventilate. You can do something to calm that a bit with your with breath work, but um, but if no matter what, if it's the first time, you will hyperventilate. Uh, just just mentally, you can prepare yourself so you won't panic at least. But you will hyperventilate. That's normal. Um, and uh, yeah, what happens is that when you go in, the cold receptors in your skin will sense uh, that it's cold, send a signal to the brain where we have this temperature regulating center. And this center in the hypothalamus will sort of balance out, well, is this cold or is this hot? If it's cold, it will send out signals in the body saying, uh-oh, this is cold, we have to be careful. So these signals are uh, norepinephrine, for, for example, which will make your, um, which will help contracting the veins in the, in your, in in your capillaries in your skin. So you will have all your warm um, blood circulating to the core of your body because you need to um, you need to keep your vital organs warm, right? So it's kind mm-hmm. of a fight and flight system. So it's the sympathetic activation of your central nervous system mm-hmm. uh, because we are uh, trying to keep ourselves alive in this way. So, uh, mm. so, so all the, the warm blood goes uh, to the core and, um, and you will then, if you manage to stay longer than 20, 30 seconds in the water, which you will not the first time, but if you can, um, <laughs> after a few attempts, then, uh, then you will feel that the immediate cold shock response will be lowered because of norepinephrine and, um, because of endorphins in the body, uh, and uh, then you can calm your breath, and then you can stay in the water for, for a bit. Mm, mm. And you will activate guess, the brown fat, but I'll come more into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, we'll circle back to the brown fat, but just elaborating on that uh, norepinephrine release, um, this is possibly one of the reasons why people feel so energetic and um, alert following cold exposure, right? Like, so that, yeah. that neurotransmitter can play a role there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so people get, um, so it's both norepinephrine and uh, also a bit of adrenaline, not that much exactly, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's the cold shock response and it's a, and it's the fight and flight system that you uh, are activating. So your body will become very alert. Um, and in the same time, you will always also have other transmitters uh, released in the brain. So you will have the, um, you will have the endorphins and the, the dopamine release which mm. you will, will make you like happy and maybe a little silly afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
We've seen that. And <laughs> so with, I guess with, with the brown fat, obviously this is a, a hallmark benefit of um, cold exposure. And you mentioned that it can help to actually burn calories. Do you want to maybe elucidate some of the other benefits associated with having more brown fat? Yeah, so... There's been studies where they have looked at um, if we cool people, uh, can they get more brown fat and what happens when we get more brown fat? So the function of that. So um, we can increase the amount of brown fat. We've seen that in mice studies. We've seen that in, in human studies as well, both in, in, in lean, uh, but also um, there's a few studies in, in obese subjects too. But if you are cooled, then... Um, you will boost your brown fat because you will um, have this release of norepinephrine, which activates mm. the brown fat. And then we have a browning of our um, other cells, which could be, now we have the whole color palette. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the base cells will become more brown and the brown cells in, in, in humans will become more rich with mitochondria. So mitochondria is really those uh, small fabrics that are um, activating our, our cells. So we really mm. need, we really want more uh, mitochondria in our cells, but the, and, and we can have, we have that in, in the brown uh, fat cells. So when that's activated, you will, um, it will uh, use the fat in the brown fat, uh, fat cells uh, as a fuel. And as soon as that's used, then um, it would take uh, glucose and uh, lipids from the bloodstream. And in that way, it would clear up a bit from, uh, from what we have uh, left in, in our bloodstream, but also take from the white fat. So that is how uh, we think that uh, uh, the brown fat can uh, burn calories. Um, mm. And what we have seen in humans is that um, when we uh, are cooled for um, long enough. There is a very nice study showing that if you sleep uh, cold for a month at 19 degrees, then you will increase your amount of brown fat. And when you then the oh. month after uh, sleep at the 24 degrees, we, we, we can see it on these PET CT scannings where we can see the brown fat the volume, you can see that it, it has decreased again. So, wow. uh, yeah, so if you sleep cold, you can, you can increase the amount of brown fat and they also saw that the, the insulin sensitivity was increased upon that month of uh, sleeping cold. So that was wow. kind of the study that made me go into this winter swimming because I was thinking maybe we can find uh, another way to activate the brown fat besides wearing cooling vest or sleeping in a cold room at 19 degrees Celsius, which I think is a bit cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It can be a bit of a challenge for some people to, uh, yes. to get used yeah. to. But yeah. so, some of your some of your other findings, I guess, you also mentioned um, some interesting findings in trained athletes. Now you compared the differences in trained athletes and also just normal people. So what did you find in athletes? So I didn't really uh, I didn't study athletes. The study that I did was in the healthy lean uh, subjects with the average uh, age of twenty four. They went training two to three times per week. Uh, wow. But I mean, they are not athletes. They are just, uh, <laughs> I think, just healthy, yeah. <laughs> healthy young subjects uh, that I recruited. So I really right. wanted to do a study which was not in any way extreme. I wanted to find mm. out uh, with how little uh, cold exposure can we actually get away with and still have health benefits. 
So that's mm. why I came up with this uh, protocol for the study where they went to swim two to three times per week. And also they uh, go into the sauna uh, on those visits. So in total, it's only 11 minutes submerged in cold water per week and uh, 57 uh, minutes in a sauna per week. So, and, and that's wow. divided up, but you could also do it how you want it. But um, yeah, but we did see some really uh, interesting results upon that. Mm. Yeah, and I, I guess a lot of people will be wondering um, in terms of how cold it needs to be. So what did you, what did you find there? Yeah, so um, just in general, we can say that the cold water is when you, it's 15 degrees um, and lower so that's because there's there's been some there's studies showing that uh, people who have been in cold water at 15 degrees or, and below they have had some uh, serious events. Um, so you can say that it's cold enough to have uh, a cold shock. It's also cold enough to uh, to to have, to injure yourself. So get hypothermic. Mm. So uh, 15 degrees and below is Celsius. So um, so that should be cold enough. Um, it doesn't really for winter swim. It doesn't really seem that cold to be in fifteen degrees. But um, mm. but but you can say if you go to a lake or you go to the sea, it will vary upon the the season, of course. So in the beginning, uh, at, in autumn, it will be maybe fifteen, nineteen, fifteen degrees, and then it would decrease uh, during the winter, of course. So mm. if you uh, want to do the protocol of eleven minutes, uh, you should think about that as an average show. So going into the water is not, I wouldn't say that you have to stay there for a certain amount of time. It's just important that you stay there until you are uncomfortable, but still mm. feel safe uh, and then go up. And there's just trust that you will get adapted and trust your own body signals. Um, so if you feel that this is not right, then go up again because that's mm. uh, your body telling you that you, that, that you need to get away. Also that, to make sure you have a good experience and then you can go again next time and increase the amount of time in the water. So Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. And I guess um those that have good tolerance to cold, um, would we suspect that they may have, you know, a, a higher metabolic rate in a sense? Maybe they have better thyroid hormone output. Has there been any sort of correlation there at all? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but uh, but yeah. So if you are cold adapted, uh, my studies show that uh, I don't think it's been shown before. Um, but if you you get uh, adapted to the cold water, uh, my study shows that you have a higher metabolic rate. Um, mm. So the winter swimmers in my study who have were trained winter swimmers uh, for a couple of years, so that it was their second season, you can say. So not very advanced trained uh, winter swimmers, but they have tried it before. Um, and uh, they seem to have a lower uh, insulin production. Um, wow. Yeah. So I measured that during multiple days just to, to see how that looked, um, do, both during cooling and, and during uh, room temperature. And uh, we saw that they had a lower insulin production, but also when we tested the, the uh, you can say their, glucose tolerance you we gave them an, an, a, <laughs> say a, a glass of sugar which they drank um, after fasting of course and uh, then we measured the blood sugar and insulin and we saw that the winter swimmers 
uh, had a faster uh, glucose peak, but also faster decrease again uh, upon two hours. So uh, wow. lower glucose levels and a higher um, a lower insulin production uh, than the control mm. group, which were matched to the winter swimming group, of course. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, we can see how that can be applicable to, you know, to the everyday, everyday person, I guess, in improving that um, yeah. insulin sensitivity is going to go yeah. a long way for a lot of people. There's something else that you also mentioned, and this is around um, that we do not need to um, submerge the entire body and that we can just, um, you know, apply the cold to our hands and, and to our feet and even to our face. So did you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, so when you, when you expose a body part to, to cold, the cold receptors will still signal to the brain and you will have a, a release of norepinephrine, which will activate the brown fat. So mm. uh, if you want to activate the brown fat, you don't have to think about where is the brown fat located and that particular area uh, I need to submerge in the water. So you have, you have brown fat up on your neck and uh, around, uh, under your supraclavicular bones. Um, and down the spine, a little bit around the heart and the kidneys. But you don't have to submerge up to here to activate the brown fat here. It's, it's the, your, your, your neural system will, will do the work for you. So, it's, um, mm. so you really don't have to go all in. Um, but, um, yeah, you mentioned the hand and, and the feet uh, in cold water. So there's studies showing that <clears throat> if we submerge a hand uh, or a foot in cold water, um, subjects uh, who have been PET-CT scanned afterwards to see the activation of brown fat, we see actually that a foot is enough to activate uh, the brown fat and also a hand. Um, so it's, uh, it's really efficient, you can say. So if you, if you only submerge up to maybe here, <laughs> it should be enough. Uh, and you don't have to go all in with the head. Um, so, yeah, and because that will also give you an increased cold shock. Mm. it could be dangerous also yeah i guess the um, the main the main the main takeaway there is uh it doesn't have to be that extreme you know no. it doesn't it really doesn't that's what you know you've concluded is that we can get a lot of the benefits without having to suffer to yeah. the extreme <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can get away with very little time uh, doing this but you can also get away with it uh, just uh, do it, do it in your own uh, top at home. If you don't have the water or a lake nearby, uh, you can buy a barrel and put it in your garden <laughs> or on your terrace even uh, and, and do this cold exposure. So it's, uh, it's, it's really feasible if you ask me um, with this mm. protocol. So, and you will have some really quickly benefits from this. And uh, I think, it's, it's, I think it, it was surprising for us that we actually saw this in, in in these healthy lean subjects because um, they already were very healthy. They were already had a, a perfect uh, metabolic rate. So how could we even improve that more with just going into the water 11 minutes per week and going into the sauna? So uh, mm. it's, it's really a contrast uh, therapy that we, uh, that we measured. Mm. And, and as, part of the, um, as part of the cold therapy practice for like the everyday person, um, is it generally advised that, if somebody were to engage in the alternate therapy between hot and cold, is it generally encouraged for them to finish on the cold? Is that the, like the general rule of thumb and allow the body to warm back up naturally? 
Uh, yeah, so it, what I always say is that you should end cold if you yeah. do the contest therapy. So you should start cold because that's, that's very good to just alert the body and you will activate the metabolic rate. Then go into the heat if you have a sauna. That's really good. And, uh, and then you can go as out, in and out as many times as you, as you like, of course. And this protocol was based on going into the water, into the sauna, back into the water, into the sun, and then ending cold, and then mm. go home. <laughs> um, <laughs> because if you end cold, then you will, you will have, have to warm up uh, by yourself. The body really needs to um, activate uh, all the, uh, uh, the brown fat and also the muscles to increase the thermogenesis. So mm. if, if, um, if you, you end in the sauna, you will probably have some other benefits from that, but, um, but you can say it's, it's more demanding for the body to heat up by itself. So ending yeah. cold was, uh, was part of my protocol, yeah. Mm. Mm. Makes sense. And as part, of the, um, as part of the exclusion criteria, like even sort of looking at the general population, is there a certain demographic that you would um, advise against the use of cold therapy? Yeah, so there's generally rules uh, or rule of thumbs that you can say if, if you go into the cold water and you are a, a non-adapted uh, winter swimmer, you will, you will have a small increase in heart rate and also blood pressure. And because you are activating both the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, there is a bit of a little conflict in the body uh, for the heart. So uh, the sympathetic nervous system wants to increase heart rate and the parasympathetic wants to decrease, right? So there's a bit of a conflict. And so if you have heart problems and uh, you have uh, high blood pressure, you should consult with your doctor uh, first, maybe just asking what do you recommend? Should I... Is it okay for me to to go into the water um, just for safety? And mm. also for safety, I always say, don't put your head into the water. You really don't have to. Uh, it, it's it's not necessary, not for health benefits, but some people just like it. Um, mm. And yeah, that's up to them. Sometimes I just put some water in my face before I go up from the water, just <laughs> just to cool the face off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It it can be tempting to to want to show off in front of your friends, to, you know, to, to, to duck under <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then, then you okay. get out with, and then you, you've got brain damage or you're frozen your brain. So I brain guess like, freeze, yeah, but it's dangerous. I mean, it's a uh, studies. Uh, there are some good um, Danish studies actually showing that when you submerge people into, um, it was in a big top in the lab, they did this experiment where they submerged uh, people in, in, in those and they, um, and they looked at where the, the blood flow went. So they actually saw that uh, 30 to 40% of the blood flow from the brain was actually away. So it's, it, it, it was decreasing. So they got a little bit dizzy. So I think some winter swimmers who have dipped their head in, in the water might um, uh, recognize that they have been dizzy or feeling a little bit of, of black uh, in front of the eyes because the, of, of the decreased blood flow. Um, and that could be a bit dangerous because you can you can faint, of course, and uh, you can hurt your, yourself if it's slippery and you are dizzy afterwards. You can fall, and uh, mm. there's a risk of drowning, of course. So I always advise also to never go alone. So always bring mm. a friend, your neighbor, your sister, your mom. Your... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 
in terms of in terms of future research, Susanna, like um, what what else are you really excited to see more of? So, um, so after this uh, study in the healthy lean uh, subjects, I was really interested in seeing. So, how does this look in if you have a totally different metabolic profile? So, I did a randomized controlled trial in uh, in obese pre-diabetic subjects, uh, males and, and females, um, and um, men and women, because I wanted to see just the average uh, middle-aged uh, group, how does this protocol look in, in, in this group? So I repeated actually the study just in another group and in another age range, and also um, in people who didn't really have the perfect, um, you could say, metabolic profile. So mm. to see, can we actually move this? Can, can, can winter swimming be a way of getting from pre-diabetic to down to, to normal um, uh, glucose levels again um, and uh, uh, insulin sensitivity. Um, so that, that we are working on right now um, and uh, also to see if we can activate the brown fat in obese uh, subjects who are more than 40 years old. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's because brown fat is a tissue that is uh, very abundant in, in healthy Lean subjects, young subjects uh, under 40 years old. But uh, as far as we can see in, in, in already published uh, studies, that, uh, that brown fat is not that um, easy to activate uh, in, in, in obese uh, subjects, type 2 diabetic subjects also, mm. but also if you're over 40 years old, there is a, a decrease uh, so, uh, in, in the activity, <laughs> but also in the volume of it. So we are asking, why is this happening? So um, the metabolic rate goes down after, after 40 or 50 years old, right? Mm -hmm. so, uh, so if we can activate the brown fat again, keep it alive, you can say, um, in, in, in middle-aged subjects, and maybe we can also uh, yeah, prevent some obesity. We can prevent type 2 diabetes. Mm. Wow. Was there, any, was there any similar research, I guess, on obese um, or is this, the, is this the very first of its kind? Um, there are studies uh, um, where they have scanned uh, obese and type 2 diabetic subjects for brown fat, but nothing mm. on, on winter swimming. There's nothing oh. the, 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 the cold in that way. But they have cooled oh. uh, obese subjects and also type 2 diabetic subjects. They see very little brown fat in, in, in these uh, groups. Um, so, but that could also be due to um, maybe not that efficient uh, cooling protocols because we need to cool the subjects um, and then for a certain amount of time and then mm. put them into a PET-CT scanner to see, to see the, the brown fat. Um, if you go into my Instagram profile, I have some... Uh, some uh, PET CT scannings of, of the brown fat, so you can see uh, the brown fat yourself. Um, mm. uh, so if you if uh, you, you if you do that, uh, then you can see that the brown fat is is most abundant here uh, under the the superclavicular bones. That is probably the largest depot that we have. But mm. um, in obese subjects uh, and type two diabetic subjects, for some reason, it's it's not uh, it's not there even maybe not anymore, or mm. we are not using the right way of 
activating it or uh, yeah it's not taking up the same substrate as uh, as healthy lean subjects could also be so we are we are looking into this as well mm, that'll be yeah that'll be really fascinating um as soon as as soon as you publish some data on that i'll be sure to share that on my yeah, on my cool. instagram that'll be <laughs> interesting a, lo- a lot of people a lot of people are asking the question around um can we still derive a lot of these benefits simply from having a cold shower um, from what I understand, it, it does appear that there will be some crossover benefits, you know, in terms of cold, having a cold shower. So maybe did you want to elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, so the cold showers, it's not exactly the same, but, but you are right that we can, we can transfer some of the benefits, of course, and uh, because cold is cold. Uh, <laughs> but the, the thing with submerging is that you activate both the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system because it's your diving response, actually, right. that you are uh, uh, activating, which you don't in a shower. You will just have sprinkles of, of water on your body and you will feel kind of like uh, cold and hot and not really. Yeah, so it's it's not mm. the same. Um, and the thing, but but if that if that's what you have, I think you should definitely do it. Um, I think that cold shower is a really good way to also get started to to get some um, you can say uh, resilience from that, and then mm. you maybe you can move on to submerging <laughs> in a tub or in a barrel or in the sea or lake or what you like. Because I think that um, submerging is the is 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 the most healthy way where you get the most benefits at least. Mm. With that submersion process, actually entering into the water is there a particular a reflex that's sort of activated by the is there a known reflex that occurs in the body um yeah so it's the it's a a, what sorry what do you mean as in in like you know with um you know young babies that are born if you tickle their the base of their foot they they like oh yeah yeah (laughs) you know is there is there i mean do we have a, a name for that submersion reflex or is it just that it activates both parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous so that's systems. The, that's the diving response, yeah. So it's, right. it's a reflex, right. yeah. So it's, and you won't have that in the shower. So it's uh, right, yeah. That makes sense. Okay. And as far as in, as far as the brown fat, um, you said that in you know some diabetics and um, overweight individuals, they actually have less um, less brown fat. What? What do we think might be the mechanisms or what do we think might be some of the reasons? Why they have less. Um, yeah, so we, we, we don't quite know. It could be, yeah, it could be that uh, with age that, uh, that uh, yeah, we, get, we get obese and our um, metabolic rate goes down. We don't, um, we get, uh, you could say, less insulin sensitive in our bodies and that might slow the the brown fat cells um, in some way or it could be that it's actually the thermogenesis the brown fat that is decreasing and that makes um, it harder for people in the middle age to actually lose weight so Mm. uh, so we don't know if it's which comes first uh, in in this regard so um, so Mm. we, we don't really know yet but it's really really interesting and we want to find out of course um, so what, what we are looking at is both to see how does uh, how do c- can we actually activate uh, uh, the brown fat in in obese uh, subjects 
and how much do they have? Can we get, can they get more, more function and, or, or more brown fat in, in, in tissue and in, in volume? Um, if we can do that, then there should be a, like a turnaround. It should be possible, right? Um, and um, also we are looking to see if we can uh, find markers that are coming from the brown fat and circulating to the other organs in the body. So like an organ crosstalk. So if we wow. can find markers, just like, just like leptin, right? So yeah. you have uh, from the white fat, which is uh, sending a signal to the brain saying if you're mm. hungry or... or um, so so in, in the same way, we think that the brown fat is also talking to other organs in the body. And we should be able someday to find a marker which, by which we can actually both measure how much brown fat do people have. This is... This is my wish list, you can hear. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so we can measure how much brown fat do people have, like a marker for that. But also yep. um, to, to, uh, to maybe produce a, a drug for this so you can, you can activate your, your brown fat and increase your metabolic rate. So that could be really interesting for, uh, for uh, obesity and, uh, and, and type 2 diabetes subjects. So. Mm. If, we, if we did have the ability to, to measure the brown fat, um, it, through what method would we use? Would it be like a blood test biomarker or would it be actually a physical, you know, scanning the body? Like what would it look like? Yeah, so it's a really good question. Lots of people ask me this. Uh, can you measure my brown fat or is there any way that I could go to my doctor and have this measured? It's not possible yet. Um, mm. So that's why I'm talking about this, this marker. It would be really cool if we can... Yeah. Find something that we can go down to our doctor and say, well, how does my brown fat look? <laughs> um, but at the moment, we, um, we only have uh, the gold standard, which is uh, really not feasible uh, to do in, in all people. Um, but we, um, we have this PET-CT scanning, which is the golden standard. Right. So what we do, or what we do in research, and uh, we, of course, get ethical approval to do this, but we call people uh, for, I do it for a couple of hours, uh, just a mild cooling, it's called. <laughs> you look like one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they volunteer, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Wow. They, <laughs> they lay in the bed and then I have these cooling mats and they, then I cool them for some hours, just very slow. And um, then uh, we give this um, uh, radioactive um, uh, injection, which is a glucose tracer. Um, and this glucose tracer looks like it's a glucose analog, you can say. So it looks like glucose. And uh, we should remember now, so when, when we are cold, uh, the brown fat gets activated. And mm. the fuel for activation in, that, in the brown fat tissue is glucose. So the brown fat takes up glucose from the bloodstream to keep it active and, and produce heat, right? Because that's the end product. So when I cool them, I inject this... Um, this uh, tracer, which is glucose and glucose analog, and then that will get into active tissue. So right. it will get into the tissue of the brown fat, and then an hour later, I will put them in the scanner um, and see, <laughs> then I can see where the, the glucose analog is placed in the body. In that way, we can measure how much brown fat do we actually uh, do these subjects have. But that, you can hear, is not feasible yeah. for... for just everyone. <laughs> it sounds it sounds very time consuming and very difficult and very it, impractical. Yeah, it, it it's not feasible. But there's a, mm. there's another way which is is also measuring with um, 
thermography. So you can okay. measure the heat coming from the brown fat. Um, and that is one of the, the main also uh, methods in my study because I did a multi-method study. So okay. I did the glucose tracer and PET-CT scanning, also MR scanning, and the uh, thermography scanning, as you can say, of the heat coming from the superclavicular brown fat. And I measured the temperature coming uh, of the skin because the brown fat is located just beneath the skin, actually. Um, so I measured also how far down from the skin the brown fat is located. And it was in my subjects just a, 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 millimeter, a millimeter under the skin. So it's, wow. it's up to the skin, actually, in, in these subjects. And um, when you activate it with cold, then the heat is... Uh, is the end product, you can say. So with thermography, um, I could see how much was the temperature increasing with cold. And then again, I heated them at the end and then I could see the, the temperature in the, in the brown fat was going down again. Um, and then the temperature mm. in, on the arm was going up. So it, it was kind of like this uh, with the temperature on the arms and legs and with the brown fat, you can see the temperature was going up with cold. So that's another way, but it's really, it's also, it's a difficult technique and uh, I practiced for a long time before it, it really, yeah, made sense. <laughs> so, so in your, in your opinion, what, what does the perfect way to assess brown fat, what might that look like? What might, might that look like in the future? The perfect one would be if we could just measure that in a blood sample. So in a, blo in a blood test. Yeah, in a blood test, yeah. Oh, so yeah. going down to your doctor and say, I would like to measure my brown fat, it would be really cool if we could find a marker that says, right. yeah, saying that this, this is a brown fat marker, we can, we can from this blood sample or maybe two or three different kinds of markers coming from the brown fat say, well, it seems like you have this much amount mm. of brown fat, um, something like that. But um, yeah, mm. that's in, in the future, I think. Yeah. But we are looking into markers already. So it's, uh, it, yeah, it, it should be, yeah, it's a wish list, as I said before. <laughs> yeah, F fingers crossed, fingers crossed it's uh, in the next maybe year or two, because then I think that, that will be a really highly requested blood test from the doctor instead of, you know, them checking just the basic things. Now they're going to look into things that, as you mentioned, the, um, the most exciting thing that I think is that organ crosstalk, the ability for these, this brown fat to then signal to maybe the heart, the lungs, liver, to maybe does it even affect fatty liver disease, you know, all this awesome research. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's, it's very likely that it's, it's, it has this organ crosstalk because it's, the brown fat is located very centrally in the body, just there is around the central nervous system. So it seems like it's really, really um, important regarding it's, it. It has a very central placing in the body regarding all the other organs. So it's, it's very mm. likely it has some effects um, mm. cross talk to other organs too. So. Did, did you ever, did you ever look into specific um, other I know I sent through one medication that might be able to stimulate the, the brown fat production. Did you ever look into actual other modalities to do that or was it just through um, cold therapy? 
Well, the most, you can say, safe and uh, efficient way of activating the brown fat is still the coal uh, because uh, of, uh, of the increase in norepinephrine. And it's mm. just very certain that if we get coal, we activate the brown fat. So mm. we have, after, I think there are some studies uh, showing that uh, you can activate also the brown fat with uh, some, um, some medication. But the problem with those um, is that you activate your sympathetic nervous system uh, and also you have an increase in blood pressure and heart rate, mm. and you really don't want that <laughs> to be <laughs> chronic. <laughs> so, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not something you want to be chronic. You want it to be, uh, be able to switch on and off, you can say. So it's, it's, uh, there's not a perfect way uh, yet, mm. but uh, still the perfect way is the cold because you can control that, and it's not too much, and it seems like it's working. Um, mm. in, in different ways. So people can go uh, into the lake or the, the sea, a barrel or two, or they could go in the, in the shower. So it, it should be feasible for everyone to do this or just a foot in a bucket of ice water, right? So it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can do that in your living room. It's, it's not, you can do something to increase your metabolic rate. That's just what I'm, I'm saying. It's, it's not yeah. that difficult. That's great. I think um, that, that, that message is really you know, it's going to hit home for a lot of people because I think a lot of people get overwhelmed and they think it, you know, it has to be super extreme or it has to be like those, um, those cryotherapy chambers. You've probably looked into those and I'm sure you get asked about those, but, um, have you, have you actually looked into, you know, what occurs, the differences maybe with those cryo chambers at all? I haven't really uh, looked into that that much. Um, I think I want to do that a little bit more, study that. Um, and regarding the brown fat and metabolic rate, I haven't really uh, seen um, uh, anything really uh, convincing yet. So, but I'm I'm still looking. So, if people know a paper or something, just send them over to me. Um, uh, I am looking at it at the moment, but I can't really say that. Uh, that it's it's doing the same or anything. So uh, mm. the thing I think is that it's important uh, for the submersion in the water is that you activate your central nervous system, which I'm not really sure happens in the cryo, but mm. something else is probably happening. So and you will have the activation of the the receptors in the skin. So, but no one has measured the brown fat in in that mm. regard. So yeah, mm. fascinating. All right. Well, I think um, I think that's I think that's pretty much everything. Was there any final, um, you know, maybe areas you wanted to mention for my audience? If if if, if somebody's looking at actually getting started, um, yeah, what's so, maybe a few tips you can suggest? Yeah. So um, yeah, I I I write tips on my account, of course, but I also have I've written a book. Um, so um, it's translated now, and it's getting translated into thirteen languages. Uh, and I will have the English version out in September 2022. But you can go on in my bio and you can pre-order the book. In the book, you will have, a, you can say, a guide to how to get started and also how to win to swim, why is it good for you, both the, the cold, but also a bit about the heat, so going into a sauna. Um, so it's kind of a a book where I just uh, tell you what's, what has research found uh, until now. Um, so the health benefits, how to get started. So if you are a winter swimmer, you will probably 
uh, not uh, a lot uh, and okay. feel that, oh, right, this explains what I'm feeling. So it's about the physical um, health of winter swimming and sauna, but also the mental health. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so you can, you can read that uh, or order it already. Sure. Well, I'll make sure I'll make sure to point my um, point my uh, audience over to your page, and yeah, make sure they give you a follow. And and you know, with any future research that you publish, I'll be sure to share that on my page because you're. I mean, your profile. You're doing an amazing job at you know getting the message out there. And, and what I think what I think you're putting forward is very um, practical, and that's what I you know really respect. You're merging a lot of the research with the practicality. So that's um something you know really really awesome. So um. Yeah, thank thank, thank thank you so much for you know jumping on, and um, we'll definitely definitely stay in touch. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for inviting me, and thank you for listening. No worries. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. We will uh, make sure this IG live is saved for those who may have missed it. Um, but that pretty much wraps it up. Thank you so much, Susanna. Let's thank you. Bye bye. Have a nice day. Take care. Take care. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.